On today's episode... What if life actually began at conception? That means that when you mix the sperm and the eggs in the Petri dish, every moment of fertilization, you have life. You have life that is accountable for sin, according to Psalm 51.5. You have life that it, the patterns laid down genetically of what that child will be with hair color, eye color, skin color, all that kind of stuff is already there. Do you jump into IVF as quickly as you did? Welcome to the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. People today face many opportunities and struggles when it comes to issues of life and death, marriage and family, health and science. We're here to bring a fresh biblical perspective to these issues and more. Join us now for Life Challenges. Well, welcome back. I am Krista Potratz, and I'm here with Pastors Bob Fleischman and Jeff Samuelson. And today we are going to follow up from our episode last week. Last time I spoke with Leah Bongard, and we talked about her experience with embryo adoption. And so today I am joined by Jeff and Bob, and we're going to discuss some of the things that, that Leah mentioned, the topic of embryo adoption in general, and also um, maybe IVF as well. So with that being said, when we think of embryo adoption, what maybe is important biblically to consider? As with so many things, we really have to start with the question of motive. What is your reason for uh, considering this? And in most cases, the stories I've, I've heard, Leah's and, and others, the, the motive is a really good and God-pleasing one. There is a life that is languishing in a tube of liquid nitrogen somewhere that I, as a, a mother, part of a, a family or a couple trying to start a family, want to give a chance at life. And that's, that, that's a really good thing. That's a God-pleasing thing. If your motives, however, are more about you've basically made an idol of fertility, an idol of having your own children or something, and it's just like, you know, children at any cost, well, okay, then, then, then perhaps your, your motives are not so good. But obviously, you know, there's nothing in scripture that specifically addresses the concept of, of embryo adoption. Sure. But the, the whole principle of, of loving your neighbor, of, of trying to look out for those who are most vulnerable and uh, to, to, to serve others in what ways you can, this is a, a, a wonderful opportunity for that. Well, and the whole, the whole topic of adoption in general, whether adopting outside of the womb or inside of the womb, has always been venerated as a noble thing. Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was um, basically orphaned, and he was lame, and uh, which would have made him kind of a dependent on the culture and everything. And David very much adopted him, took care of him. And I like to point out the story of Mephibosheth to people as far as, you know, the nobleness of taking care of someone who otherwise life could be bad or, or, or fatal even. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was very touched by uh, listening to Leah uh, when I listened to her podcast, uh, talking about how they, they wrestled with, you could tell she was even wrestling with her own motives. Was there a point which we say no more? She was saying that the um, embryo adoption clinic said you can only go three times, but she said no, two two times. If it's after two times we still fail, uh, then we're stopping. And and of course God had clearly 
decided after two times uh, at that clinic, you're going to get your way. I was really very moved by by her story too, just in in that motive and just her really like willingness to go through all that. I mean that that was a lot of stuff, and I know a lot of people like experience that and and just such a a long journey. And I I don't know. I mean I I know kind of what Jeff means a little bit, like with maybe not you don't want to make it an idol of of infertility but at but then there is kind of this point like well if god is making these resources available uh should i take that opportunity yeah i i agree the emotional strain of infertility i i i was shocked i mean when when i encountered my first couple who were wrestling with infertility both of whom i knew on a more casual basis, being very strong and everything, broke down, cried. It was quite uh, a heartbreak for them. And well, normally, I'm not I'm not a real big fan of IVF, but we've had uh, in vitro fertilization IVF, and we've got thousands of cryopreserved embryos, and we've got people who cannot find children to adopt when they are infertile because of the high abortion rate. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, this is a, a wonderful opportunity to save a life. And this is as close to having your own child as you can be without having your own child. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, too, what just the story of embryo adoption does is it really hits home that point of of life beginning at conception. And I mean, that's something we say all the time, and we've said it all the time on this podcast, too, and just pro-life in general, but I feel like sometimes even just the pro-life movement gets a little caught up in, I don't know, just maybe semantics and just this idea of viability, right? Oh, like, let's talk about like, when can life be sustained outside the womb and trying to maybe this idea of trying to win over the pro-abortion side a little bit, or how can we find some some language or terminology that might might work on that side, or even to like just the the Texas heartbeat law, which I mean, all these are are great things. But then you know, like okay, well, when we hear a heartbeat, then you know we really know that there's life there. And I think for me, just the idea of embryo adoption is wow, there is life even when the baby isn't viable outside of the womb and there isn't a heartbeat. There is still life there. And I think that that's just what really hits me with the concept of embryo adoption. I've I've dealt with couples who have come to me who have gone through IVF. And I've I've always, part of it is that they aren't there in their understanding. For them, it was Utilizing, but I saw one statistic that in some countries, as many as ten percent of the births are now the result of IVF. And when you lose sight of the sacredness of life at its earliest possible stage, I get it. You know, I get it. it's an option. We're going to exercise it. We're going to use it. But what if? Let's just let's step outside of scripture and science for a moment. What if life actually began at conception? What if that means that? When you mix the sperm and the eggs in the Petri dish, every moment of fertilization, you have life. You have life that is accountable for sin, according to Psalm 51.5. You have 
life that it the patterns laid down genetically of what that child will be with hair color, eye color, skin color, all that kind of stuff is already there. Do you jump into IVF as quickly as you did? And I one of one of my earliest uh, foray into the public writing is I wrote a a piece for the old Northwestern Lutheran, and I I wrote about the problem I have with IVF, and that it still has a, a deplorable success rate when you tally in how many embryos are lost in the process. And uh, in reply to that, uh, a grandfather had written a rather irate letter to the editor of uh, uh, the late Jeb Schaefer uh, of the Northwestern Lutheran saying, you know, how can Pastor Fleischman say this? How can he say that my two daughter, granddaughters born through IVF were not blessings from God? Well, first of all, that's because that's not what I was saying. Even, even through sinful copulation, life is still a blessing. And even in, in IVF, I'm not talking about the two wonderful children that survived, incredible. I'm talking about their incredible brothers and sisters that didn't, that were lost. And that's the problem. And, of course, talking that way today, you're treated like crazy. Uh, Michael J. Fox was uh, in an interview with Katie Couric, and he was arguing for embryonic stem cell research. And Katie Couric had raised the concern from Christians about they're saying that you're destroying human life and stuff like that. And he he said, well, where were all, where were all these people when they were doing IVF, when uh, Louise Brown, where where were they? He, he said, because he said that they've been, they've been creating embryos and destroying them for years. And that's the truth. And I mean, even advocates recognize this is what they do. And you got to do the same thing there that you do with abortion and all that kind of stuff. You can start changing the terminology so that you feel more comfortable disposing of some. That that's why you know people ask me if we know that in a in an abortion a life is lost, why do we still allow it? And that's because they've sold society on the argument of personhood. It's a life, but it's not a person. And that's what they do with embryonic life. It's it's a life. Of course, it's alive. That's otherwise you aren't going to plant a dead embryo. It's a live embryo, but it's just an embryo. Yeah. Bob, you mentioned that you had people come to you kind of after the fact who had done, done IVF. I've, I never had, had this situation, so I'll ask you, what do you say to someone, who maybe after listening to this podcast, someone who has had IVF and had children through it, who has only now come to appreciate exactly what that meant for the embryos that didn't get chosen, the ones that were discarded? Well, it's when I sat down with them, again, I, I always make the statement they're not there yet. So your first knee-jerk reaction is, no, no, that's not right. That's not, it's not a, it's not a life yet. It's, my doctor said it's not a life until it, it plants into the, the, the wall of the uterus, which of course ignores all the science that's being done on artificial wombs and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of times it took a, it, I'm not sure I got through to, at least the one couple I talked with, I, they just got angry at the suggestion. And a lot of times they do that. But I, I, I experienced this with abortion. You sit down with a woman who's had an abortion, and no one wants to, to come to the realization that that I consented to have the life of someone taken, and that's not considered loving to the mother and so forth. So people dance around it. So when you do face it, 
I, I think our first in, in, our first response is always to deny it. No, that can't be. But a lot of people are just duped. They're duped by a culture that just. And if, if you do it enough, uh, there's there's some great quotes from people who say, you know, if you take a wrong and you do it enough times, it doesn't become a right. It's still a wrong. It's just done a bunch of times. That's that's the thing is with with, with when you're destroying embryos, it's there's something to be said too about look at it this way: if you had the job to execute someone. And so you push the button and it does whatever it does to end the life. Which would be easier, to stand in the room with the person and push the button or stand outside of the room in a closet and push the button? Well, standing outside in the room in the closet is going to be easier. Well, that's the mentality that comes to take over for you after a while. If you can't see in an embryo human life the way you imagine human life to be, it's not an issue for you. But then when you get into Scripture and it says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. When it talks about life, at, at conception, what was John the Baptist if he wasn't John the Baptist? At conception, what was Jesus if he wasn't Jesus? And you can't get away with the old terminology saying it was a blob of tissue or anything like that. And it's the same thing in a Petri dish. You get in a Petri dish, you have a, a developing embryo through IVF. You first of all got to begin, even if a person's going to argue that we should still have IVF, you got to begin with the premise that this is life. I think that was something too from Leah's experience when she said she was looking into IVF, that just this idea that sometimes the embryos are destroyed and the couple doesn't even know. It just, they just kind of go through and pick them and and can kind of think too, like, okay, well, if you're a couple going through IVF and you had a doctor that was a Christian and that knew that life began at conception and told you up front that every embryo was going to be given a chance, would it be okay then? I Right. I don't know. I you know, and I I mean, I guess that's kind of where I I go too. Like, okay, like, what if it was all done in this good ethical way? Is is it is it still good? Or I don't know. And, and of course, I hate it when we start using statistics. You know, I always say like, if if you have a one in one hundred chance of of dying from this operation. Uh, it sounds like a pretty safe operation, unless you are that one. Then it was a hundred percent fatal for you, you know. Yeah. But um, but you know the problem with with IVF is even when when Leah was describing just the the thought out embryos, and and they failed. That I mean, it's it's a very fragile thing. Now it it's interesting because if you try to if you do a good if you do a detailed search in the medical journals on spontaneous abortions, which is abort- and many of which a woman doesn't even know, you know, just that uh, fertilization took place and just flushed out with a, with a menstrual cycle. They, they will say, oh, it happens from anywhere from 35 to 65% of the time. But, but the thing is, is uh, the late uh, Dr. Jack Wilkie, uh, he and I were once talking about, about that kind of statistic and and even if you say that a woman spontaneously aborts 65% of the time, I'm, I'm, the last statistics I saw uh, compared to the number of embryos lost and everything is that's still a better average than, than the best experience with IVF. 
do you want to do it? And and people always say, well, you know, it's in God's hands, you know. Um, well, I don't know. Do you look both ways before you cross the street? Well, of course you do because you're a steward over life. Well, the same thing too, you're a steward over this life. And the way to think through this statistical thing is think about it as the two-year-old you always wanted. You're you're infertile. You're playing around with IVF. You can imagine I would love to embrace a cute two-year-old that comes walking up to me with a handful of dandelions and those kinds of things. Okay, now if somebody told you you had you faced those kind of odds, that if it failed, this two-year-old would die, would you do it? And I don't I don't think anybody in their right mind would do it. But nobody thinks that way. They want to think outside of that. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, that was a really good point that you made about just the, I mean, even if you were a couple and decided to do IVF and then freeze the embryos that you weren't going to use, it still is kind of a gamble because every time that Leah went through it, like some of the embryos that were thawed didn't make it. And um, and I know, I mean, just in things that I've read, too, that seems to happen quite a bit as well. This this all intersects really well with what could be a, a another podcast topic or or two, the a Christian and science, you know, our attitude toward it, or or how science can shape and or help our our thinking on things like this. On on a negative side to to this whole question is like, let's just remember that just because science makes something possible doesn't mean that it is something right or that it is even the way it's supposed to be. How many of these questions, you know, regarding IVF or whatever could, I won't necessarily be settled, but, you know, our thinking would shift if we just kind of realized, you know, it never was God's design for life to have it beginning in a Petri dish. <laughs> you know, just, just recognize, okay, how, how, how can we try to do what it is that we're seeking to do in as much as possible in line with the design God who is all knowing and all wise and all loving the design he set in place it used to be hundreds of years ago that science was done and medicine was done with the sense of okay God has put something perfect together how can we get back to that as best as possible and so much has been made possible through science and medical technology and such today that, that as Christians, we really need to stop a little bit more and take that step back and say, oh, okay, how does this fit with my understanding, my confidence that, that God's design and plan is actually the best there is? But on the other side, Christian attitude towards science, what a gift genetics is, that we are now able to take what we now understand and what is taught in our schools about genetics and use that to help explain to somebody, yeah, everything that you've ever read that says that your genes, that's what says that you've got brown hair and we, we don't know quite the mechanism, that, but that's probably why your daughter laughs the way your mother laughs. All those kinds of things, those are tied up in your genetics. And well, all of that, every little bit of that genetic code is in that embryo that you're being taught to treat as just a, a throwaway kind of thing. Then we have the blessing of, of scientific advance with, with genetics to be able to say, look, this is exactly what we're talking about. And, and which opens up a new can of worms because probably within the last six months, there's been a, a series of articles popping up in medical circles on 23andMe. They, they all participate in this thing where they kind of look at 
Before you have a child, what will the child be like? They look at your ancestry and everything, and it's got some calculations and everything. And it raises the question: It raises the question: Do we do we continue to check like that in IVF? So, do we give you the right to choose hair color, eye color? Do we give you the uh, the right to to throw away this embryo because it doesn't appear to have the gene of your your great great grandfather who was really bright and had a high IQ and that's and the, as early as or recently as September I think it was September first uh, of the Wall Street Journal there was an article in there in June there was an article in the New England Journal of Medicine about trying to add these new standards on uh, using artificial reproductive technology to determine to go ahead. Now, I don't want to drift too far away from what, what Leah did, Leah and her husband. I, I view what they did as a genuine rescue with this incredible bonus that they have a child. And I think that that's, I, I, I applaud that. And isn't so much of life in a world of sin doing a rescue of some sort? You're so far down the complicated, yeah, I always think that when you read in the Bible and you you get into some story and you're going, my goodness, this is like so unreal. This is not not real for today or anything. It tells you it doesn't let the Bible has drifted away. It says that we have, but that's the way it's been. Is that we've got to this point today, we've walked down some of these really spooky paths, and they're going to get darker. You know, they're going to get scarier. And Jeff makes a great point. Just because you can, and on a simple level. Uh, there's all sorts of things your your children can do that they shouldn't do. Just because you could, do not throw that down the toilet. <laughs> I know you can, but don't do that. You know, that doesn't make you know. Just because you can do it doesn't make it right. And I think it is really neat that that there is this embryo adoption center now, and that they are so committed in really like they were very committed into giving each embryo a chance. And I think that is just really, it, 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 it just feels really nice to know that there are groups like that out there and that there are people out there too, because sometimes it just feels like you're kind of alone in maybe thinking the other way. Well, and I've had, I've had a number of couples that have, I've sat down with, I've gone through the tears of infertility, and I raised the question of uh, embryo adoption or snowflake. I used to use the term snowflake babies, and and then introduce them to Leah, and then Leah takes it from there. And so there's a few children walking around thanks to Leah and her story. And I I think if, for anybody who hears this podcast, keep it in mind that this is an option, and it still might not be right for everyone. Still a little bit. Shocking that for each experience she went through, it was $10,000. That's a high high price tag. Although if you're paying for a pregnancy out of pocket, it's it's expensive to have a child nowadays. But what a, what a blessing. What a blessing it is for a son. Actually, the other thing that's interesting, and I'm not sure if, if this applies in Leah's case. I just heard, I talked with somebody else who's had, oh, I think it's, it's a couple out in Western Wisconsin who had an embryo adoption. And, the child that they delivered through embryo adoption uh, was born after the first child, similar to Leah's circumstance. But the child chronologically is older because 
was conceived, according to the record, mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I guess as they these siblings have grown up now, that's been a point of contention between them. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I am the oldest. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else that we should we should mention today about embryo adoption? Well, I mean, if I could leave a thought, stay away from IVF and but embrace embryo adoption. There's enough available embryos, enough available human lives, babies are available through embryo adoption to meet the needs of of the infertile. Mm-hmm. And I think they should avail themselves of it. Yeah. I often end up telling people that here at CLR, we are very pro-adoption, and embryo adoption certainly is, is part of what we're pro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we leave today, I actually have a book to review this time. I know it's been a few weeks, but the book actually, I asked Leah if there was any book on embryo adoption that she recommended. And she said that there was one actually that she had been wanting to read. So I read it. And it was on the very first embryo adoption in America here. And so the name of the book is A Snowflake Named Hannah, Ethics, Faith, and the First Adoption of a Frozen Embryo. And it is written by Hannah's father, John Strachey. And it is about the journey that he and his wife Marlene took to adopt their daughter Hannah. And the first, probably third of the book, is about their story to adopt their daughter. And they are a a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, LCMS couple. And so that was kind of neat, too, because they had pictures in the book of her infant baptism and, uh, and everything, too. So the first third of the book talks about how they went through the process of adopting their daughter and also the role that even James Dobson played in, in that, too, was really neat. And then the, the second kind of part of the book was about how they were just basically like thrown into politics after that because that right around the time that they were able to uh, go through the embryo adoption was when all the embryonic stem cell research was really taking off and so they never really thought that they would be into politics or in that way but they took several trips out to Washington and uh, and it was just real and the book was just really interesting about that and also about then specifically like to President Bush's role in that as well and how his very first veto in office was this bill that they were trying to get through with embryonic stem cell research and so I I thought it was really great I was obviously alive during that point. I was in high school and college, so probably not really paying attention to anything else other than myself. So it was just really nice to to read that and be like, oh, yeah, that was going on. So uh, I really, I do recommend that book because it really shows a lot of the history of embryo adoption, as well as also just a, a nice story, too, about how yeah. there's a child here that, you know, and, and now a lot of um, embryos that have been adopted, too, because of the very first one. And the uh, the mother there is the lady that had the article for us in Clearly Caring that Leah. Oh, that Leah, Leah referenced. had referenced, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So, and I, I keep thinking she'd presented for us once. But Leah's the one I remember most. So really a great book. So, again, that's uh, A Snowflake Named Hannah. 
Yeah, that's right. That's where I got the word snowflake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for joining us this time, and we'll, we'll see you back next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. Please consider subscribing to this podcast, giving us a review wherever you access it, and sharing it with friends. We're sure you have questions on today's topic or other life issues. Our goal is to help you through these tough topics, and we want you to know we're here to help. You can submit your questions, as well as comments or suggestions for future episodes at lifechallenges.us or email us at podcast at christianliferesources.com. In addition to the podcasts, we include other valuable information at lifechallenges.us, so be sure to check it out. For more about our parent organization, please visit christianliferesources.com. May God give you wisdom, love, strength, and peace in Christ for every life challenge.